Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and on this special broadcast today, we're going to talk about the Emergency Act that is being brought in and make an appeal to police uh, that are going to have to deal with this and talk about that. And so it seems things are changing so fast that we brought you a podcast Thursday last week, Friday. Now it's Tuesday. (laughs) It just might be a daily thing soon here, Aaron. Exactly. But to get us started, for the first time in our history, the Prime Minister has enacted the Emergency Act. So tell our listeners, what is that and what's its purpose? Well, the Emergency Act replaced what used to be called the War Measures Act. And that took place in 1988, where the War Measures Act was tossed aside and the Emergency Act was put in place. It's an act that essentially grants the federal government the ability to take on extraordinary powers in the face of issues pertaining to war. War obviously would be one or issues pertaining to public order, international emergencies, et cetera. So for example, in Ottawa right now with the protest movement there, they've had problems getting tow trucks to come in and actually tow protester vehicles. So the Emergency Act would give power to the prime minister to force towing companies to forcibly tow protesters' vehicles. Hmm. Now, obviously, there are some people that agree with Justin Trudeau no matter what he does. But I think what I'm seeing and hearing from most people is that they clearly see this as an attempt to crush protesters that are pursuing freedom. So that's kind of what's what's going on. Now, one of the things I find interesting about this particular act, I was reading through some of it this morning, is that in paragraph three of the preamble, so this is just three paragraphs into the Emergency Act, I want to read this paragraph. And you now keep in mind, he's, he's using the, the Emergency Act because people who have had their fundamental freedoms taken away, many of whom are not able to leave the country now because of their vaccine status, they've had their fundamental freedoms taken away, they have lost their jobs, they, they have had all of these freedoms eroded, but the, he's using the act to try to push them out of Ottawa. But what it says in paragraph three, paragraph three of the preamble is this, quote, and whereas the governor and council in taking such temporary measures, special temporary measures, would be subject to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Canadian Bill of Rights. And by the way, let me just pause and say, if you're not familiar with those documents, those are the documents that in Canada sort of enshrine or codify fundamental freedoms that aren't supposed to be taken away. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, that's what those documents, those those documents, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Canadian Bill of Rights don't grant those rights to us. They acknowledge those rights mm-hmm. as fundamental rights, as human rights, as rights based on natural law, in other words. So this preamble 
again, I'll read it from the beginning. And whereas the governor and council in taking such temporary measures, special temporary measures, would be subject to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Canadian Bill of Rights and must have regard to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, particularly with respect to those fundamental rights, listen to this, that are not to be limited or abridged even in a national emergency. So what the irony of this is you got a bunch of people saying, we want our rights back, we want our rights back, we want our fundamental rights back. He's saying, no, no, no. But because they keep asking for them, he's going to use the Emergency Act, which forbids him from abridging (laughs) or limiting their fundamental freedoms in order to continue to limit or abridge their fundamental freedoms. So it's it's super weird. Now, what I also want our listeners to understand is I've spent a total of six days over the past few weeks in Ottawa. I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I was back Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you were with me, so you can validate this. Mm -hmm. I know many people haven't been to the downtown core of Ottawa, but there is no business, no entrance to any business that you cannot access. Any business that wants to be open can open their business. Mm-hmm. It's not like every single road is blocked, you know, one road, the next road, the next road, the next road. It's, you'll have a little road with maybe one side of the traffic blocked and then you might jump over a road or three roads and there's another side blocked and then another set of roads and then another road blocked. There's an emergency lane on Wellington from the, I guess it would be on the south side from the central intersection right in front of Parliament traveling west that's Mm -hmm. wide open. Mm -hmm. So this notion that the protesters are there and they've held the city hostage is a lie. Mm -hmm. Any business that wants to still carry out commerce can do it. Emergency vehicles can move all through the downtown core, no problem. On on occasion, you're going to be inconvenienced because there's trucks on one side of the road. You might need to scoot over to the rest, Mm -hmm. but that's part of a protest. Mm-hmm. It's peaceful. There's men there. There's women there. There's children there. People are walking their dogs. People are barbecuing. They're giving speeches. They're flying the Canadian flag. They're singing the national anthem. And Trudeau looks out his window and he's like, it's a national emergency. So for the first time in Canadian history, he call he calls up the Emergency Act and, and puts it in, into place with the support of the New Democrats in order to crush people that are pe- literally peacefully protesting for their fundamental charter freedoms. Mm-hmm. And then he has the nerve to say on television, this isn't a peaceful protest. Well, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So he's he's definitely, he's definitely uh, trying to crush opposition, and he keeps getting out a bigger and bigger hammer from his toolbox to do it. Now he literally, literally has been granted the power to be an absolute dictator. He can do whatever he wants to try to quelch protest and push away anybody who opposes his tyranny. And it's becoming increasingly obvious that he's doing this so that he can usher in his economic agenda, right? Mm -hmm. There's been lots of conversation about the Great Reset. That's not a conspiracy theory anymore. It's a conspiracy fact. Half his cabinet's been educated by Klaus Schwab. That's not a conspiracy. Schwab has said it publicly. He, Klaus Schwab, has congratulated and complimented Justin Trudeau as a fine example of a young leader that he's 
trained. So Trudeau has an ideological agenda. And of course, everybody has an ideological yeah. agenda. I don't agree with his agenda, but mm -hmm. it's a free world. You can have your own agenda. But when you're actually using laws manipulatively because you want to usher in your own new fangled way of governing a country own economic platform, it really is quite disturbing. And I also find it interesting, Chris, and you probably noticed this too, almost nobody's talking right now about the virus. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> like there's not been massive outbreaks at these convoys mm -hmm. in these large groups of people. They're not really even talking about that. People aren't really even talking much about vaccines anymore. The third shot was um, administered on 30 or 40% of the population. And increasingly, it seems to me that double vaccinated people are like, yeah, no thanks. I'm not getting the third one. So they've just sort of backed off of all of that. Mm -hmm. We're not, you look at the newspaper. I look at the Windsor Star every day. I look at various newspapers. Hardly anybody's talking about ICU capacities or death numbers. It's it, it's folk, it's really an ideological battle right now where people that want their fundamental freedoms and liberties acknowledged are being uh, pitted against a tyrant, a dictator mm -hmm. who wants to have absolute control over every aspect of life. Hmm. So maybe you could uh, bring our listeners up to speed. Lots happened in the last week. What's going on in Windsor? What's our circumstances here? And What's the, the, you know, the challenging circumstances, the pickle the police often find themselves in here? Right. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure how the, the Windsor blockade, if you want to call it that, although it was almost never a full blockade. I'm not sure how that exactly happened. Last week when you and I were on our way to Ottawa, again, we went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we got word that there was a blockade forming at the Ambassador Bridge. So we were gone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I went down to chat with the guys, encouraged them. I was kind of around there Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh, for for bits of time. Of course, I have a church to pastor too, but I was down there. And um, it was a much, much smaller group, of course, than was in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. There was half a dozen or eight vehicles uh, blocking like two lanes coming out of the bridge. The one lane, I think for the most part, was open. There was a blockade on um, Wyandotte on and off, and then they would open that lane to get onto the bridge. So it was kind of back and forth, and there was a police presence there. Uh, the police at the time were very cordial and kind. I mean, I'm not an organizer. I wasn't involved, and I'm not sure how this came about. But I was there, and I went over, and I talked to the police, and I said, you know, can, can I maybe – help out here a little bit. I also had some officials from the bridge company reach out to me to see if I could help out a little bit. So essentially no, no elected official mm -hmm. ever spoke to the protesters there. And there was dialogue back and forth with the police liaisons and my dialogue with them was always polite, cordial. And then uh, one morning I went down, I guess this would have been Saturday morning and I, I was just kind of walking on the street and I was there for like maybe like literally a minute and all of a sudden it was just a massive mm -hmm. law enforcement presence there and they basically came up behind us sort of asking one vehicle at a time like leave or get arrested leave or get arrested so some guys pulled out pulled out because literally like at that point it's like one guy versus a lineup of 75 police or something 
So we all thought like everybody there was going to get arrested. So I went over and talked to the police and I said like, what, what do you guys want? Like, what is it that you're asking for? And they basically made it clear that they wanted everybody out. And so guys started pulling out and they kind of agreed to that, that they'd, they'd, you know, start to move forward. And then a whole bunch of more new people came that I didn't know. And then there, there, it turned into like a, a bigger protest. Mm-hmm. So the group that originally was pulled out of the entrance to the Ambassador Bridge was now across the street, across the traffic light. And then a row of police advanced down here on Church Road. And then at that point, I would say, it, it's, it's, you were there, I think, at one point, too. There was maybe two or three hundred. Yeah. Maybe more, three, four hundred. Definitely. Well, once you count up all the side streets where there was all kinds as well. So. Yeah. So then what happened is um, the uh, there was kind of a standoff for the day, but then at night it was whittled down to a small group of men. And I think by the early hours of Sunday, there was maybe 25 guys or something there. And then they were surrounded by the police and the police had basically, you know, leave or get arrested. And some guys were like, okay, I'm checking out. And then there was a small group that said, no, on principle, we're getting arrested. So they got arrested. I thought it was over at that point. We had our services on Sunday and I went down Sunday afternoon just to kind of get a survey. Well, the whole of here on Church Road from the bridge right up to Tecumseh was pretty much locked down. And there was a police line pushing protesters down Tecumseh to the, I guess it would be, let me see, north, south. Uh, that'd be the east, right? That'd be the east, yeah, yes, to, down the to, east. to the east. And that's when it just kind of got very disturbing for me. Mm-hmm. And I actually had some pretty sharp words with the officers there and also expressed my anger afterwards to a couple folks in the police services. And and, and I want to I want to explain that today, why I was so angry at mm-hmm. what I saw. I, I, I do know that the police were like, well, we're just enforcing the law. We're just enforcing the law. We're just enforcing the law. But I actually want to challenge that uh, presupposition in this podcast today. My relationship up till now for the past couple of years, I mean, I, I have been frustrated with the lack of transparency from some of the brass in the, in the local police services, I was frustrated last year when I was charging the Reopening Ontario Act and the mayor of Windsor and the chief of police were both publicly violating that same law by speaking at a BLM rally in June of that year and with absolute immunity. Mm-hmm. And I was charged under that, that provincial uh, law. But for the most part, when it comes to, you know, my interaction with sergeants or constables, it's it's been fine. Of course, I have, you know, several very good friends and even a family member who are police officers. And um, I do know because I talked to them that it, it is a difficult time in history to be in law enforcement. There's many reasons for that. You know, one one of the reasons is that, you know, you're constantly being videoed. Like I can imagine if you're constantly behind the camera, people are always taking pictures that you you have to be really, really careful what you do. And there might be a temptation at times just to sort of say it's not it's not worth it. It's not worth the hassle. I understand that. I understand that many police departments are politicized, especially when many police chiefs and police services are actually taking direct counsel from politicians who have an agenda to get reelected. 
So I think that kind of subjectifies the law. It, it kind of takes some of the objective, the objectivity away from some of the decisions that are made in police services because there's, they're, they're politicized in many respects. I also know that some people just are anarchists. They just tend to vilify anybody with a uniform, anybody in authority. The kind of people that hate the police probably also hate their fathers, hate their pastors, you know, just kind of hate anybody who's in a position of authority. So I, I get that. Um, when I've been charged, I've been charged five times. One with one was withdrawn under the Reopening Ontario Act for speaking at protests or holding church services. Whenever I've been charged, the police have always been very apologetic. And I get the vibe, to be honest with you, it's more than a vibe. They don't agree with it. They don't mm -hmm. agree with the fact that they're, I, they're, they're being forced to charge me. Um, I've had six, I was thinking about this today, I've had six police officers, three men and three women that I personally know from three different services, uh, two different services and various detachments tell me that if, the, if they were ever sent to charge a pastor for opening his church under a lockdown, they would refuse the order. Mm -hmm. So we, there's, there's a lot of good cops out there. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, when the police are pushing protesters down the highway, I get the sense that the majority of them don't really agree with it. They don't agree with the mandates. They don't agree with the tyranny. They don't agree with the suspension of charter freedoms. But the excuse that's often used is, well, we have to obey the law. We have to obey the law. And what I want to do today is I want to speak directly to police officers, and I hope many, many, many will listen to this, to help them understand that there are actually two different kinds of laws that they have to take into consideration. And those laws are actually alluded to in many police officers' oaths. Hmm. But they're not always given the kind of clarity, I suspect, in the law enforcement community. So as a, you know, a bit of a budding cultural theologian, I want to help them to understand that and to help them to think clearly about their broader responsibilities as law enforcement officials. Okay, so, and you've, you've talked about these before. Um, so help me to understand, help our listeners understand, what do you mean by natural law? Okay, so there's two, there's two broad classifications of law that we need to be aware of. So on one side, we have what's sometimes called natural law or from a Christian perspective, divine law or biblical law. These are the kind of laws that aren't voted on or determined by legislative assemblies or presidents or kings or queens. They just are. They're, they're, they're natural. They don't have to be decided. They don't have to be affirmed. They don't have to be voted on through a democratic process. They just are. And if, if you're a Christian we would say those are derived ultimately from divine law, but there's many people that aren't Christians that would still acknowledge natural law. They would say they're, they're derived from reason, from mm -hmm. observations of nature itself. So they're, they're natural, meaning that they are inherent rights. Mm -hmm. They can't be given or taken by a state. They can't be given or taken by a police officer. They can't be given or taken by Justin Trudeau. They're inherent now, these laws are often expressed in 
or affirmed in things like bills of rights or charters. That's the case in Canada, and it's the case in other jurisdictions and in constitutions. Mm -hmm. They can't be given or taken. And this is why when you look at our charter, for example, the charter, the constitution is considered like the highest law in the land. It oversees it. It it trumps everything else. It trumps provincial laws. It trumps municipal laws. It trumps these things. It trumps laws that might be put in place by professional organizations upon their their um, uh, employees or their the, the people that are registered in their organization. You know, like uh, there's obviously laws in place that govern the 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 practice of physicians or chiropractors and massage massage therapists. The charter trumps all of that, and this is why when you look at the charter, it says we affirm the supremacy of God at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason why these laws are natural or innate is because they're not sourced again in legislative assemblies or democratic processes. They're sourced in an acknowledgement of God. Right. Okay. So let me give people some examples of this. Human life is valuable. So that's an example. Human life is valuable and it's to be protected period. Yep. Now, we do have laws in the civil realm, but they actually flow out of biblical laws. So this is, this is a, an interesting thing. We have the, 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 the innate inherent acknowledgement that human life is valuable and therefore needs to be protected. But let's say if someone goes around and starts killing other human beings, they can be subject to the lex talionis, the, eye for an, the principle of eye for an eye. Okay, yep. And it's the job of the state, not the job of the church, not the job of vigilantes. It's the job of the state and their appointed officers to wield the sword and oversee public justice, to protect and reward the righteous and to um, punish the evildoer. So that, that's, that's an example of an inherent law. Nobody needs to vote on that. Uh, individual soul liberty, the liberty to think act upon your conscience, make decisions for your own body and care for your own bodily autonomy. That is an inherent right. By the way, that's been violated by businesses that have received exemption letters or declarations from employees because they don't want to get vaccinated, for example. And they're like, nope, sorry, we're, we're, we're not going to acknowledge individual soul liberty. That's actually a violation of natural law. Yes. So when you murder someone, it's a violation of natural law. When you violate someone's soul liberty, that's a violation of natural law. Other natural laws would be the right to safe passage. A person shouldn't have to walk walk through the forest and be concerned about being assaulted. A person shouldn't have to walk down a street and be concerned about being assaulted. There's an inherent acknowledgement that people have the right to be safe. Uh, the right to work. This is a, a biblical law, of course. We're called to work six days and rest on the seventh. But to say to someone, no, we're going to create lesser laws that actually forbid you from working. So we're going to create civil laws that actually violate your fundamental right to work. That's a, that's a violation of natural law. Mm-hmm. People have the right to worship. So if we choose to close our church because there's a pandemic, that's that's the authority that that should be based upon the authority that the pastors or clergy of a local church choose to choose to exercise. But the state has no authority over the worship and ministry of the church. We've said this over and over and over again. This is why when the state said, no, you're closing your church, we'd say, no, we're not. 
because what we're doing is we're actually upholding natural law over and above civil law, which is the second classification of law. We have the right to educate and care and raise our own children. When the state comes in like they did in the residential school system and forcibly takes people's kids away to educate them, no matter what their rationale or reasoning is, that is a violation of natural law. So again, these aren't assigned or legislated. Nobody needs to vote on it. I don't need to, to, to prove that I have the right to worship or I have the right to work or I have the right to save passage or I have the right to educate my own children or I don't need to submit an exemption letter. It should be a declaration, not an exemption letter. I don't need to be exempt from vaccinations because I have I can exercise personal bodily autonomy. By the way, one of God's laws is that you quarantine the sick. So there is a provision for quarantining the sick, but there's no provision in natural law. There's no provision in divine law for quarantining the healthy. So those are just examples of, of natural law and natural law is the highest law again, acknowledged in documents like the Charter or Bill of Rights. And therefore, this becomes part of the police officer's oath. Hmm. Okay, so that's good. That kind of clear, lay, lays out very clearly, this is natural law. It's separate from civil law. So maybe it would help to uh, to tell us what civil law looks like. So civil law is basically any law that's enacted by a state. Sometimes it's called legislative law or positive law. And uh, another uh, one of the Latin words for that is lex humana. It's it's a man-made law. So when, when people come together in groups and form nations, you need to have laws that, that govern economies, laws that govern movement. You can't stop someone from moving around, but you can for example, pass a law that legislates how fast you can move around. So, okay, if, I, yep. so if I'm going to go from A to B, by, by natural law, you can't forbid me from traveling within my country or leaving my country if the state next door allows me in. You can't forbid that. You can't forbid me from visiting my family. But you might say, okay, we're going we're gonna to regulate how fast you can drive because presumably you're going to be driving on on our highways. And so we need to regulate the speed at which you travel. So these, these laws take the form of statutory laws. So these would be laws that are passed by a legislative body, a municipal council, a provincial council, uh, the federal government, you know, the parliament. These are laws that are like, do this, don't do that. And then there's also case laws that are known as common laws, not to be mistaken for two people that are living together. Yeah, okay, yes. But common law or case laws where you look at you look at examples of how courts have ruled on circumstances in the past and and these laws become part of your civil law. So examples of that is examples of this would be how fast you can drive on the 401 highways, how fast you can drive on county roads, how fast you can drive through cities what you're supposed to do when you see a red sign that says stop, right? These are, these are traffic laws. Mm -hmm. um, it's within the best interest of the state to pass laws like this. And then you have other laws which are disputable, but you know, people have different opinions on whether they're good laws or bad, but I'm just giving examples of civil laws. So some jurisdictions require a permit to cut trees down. Others don't. Mm -hmm. So you can have differences between municipal jurisdictions there's laws that regulate the age that you can buy alcohol. Mm -hmm. 
there's laws that decide, you know, what your tax rate's going to be and um, how you should pay those taxes. Now, just as an aside, some people would argue that income tax, for example, is a violation of natural law. To tax income mm-hmm. is a violation of natural law, but that that's a conversation for a different different day. So th- these are examples of of civil laws, and civil laws always must be thought of as less than and subservient to natural laws, mm-hmm. right? Yep. The problem is we tend to conflate or confuse or intermix the two. So a police officer goes out. And he sees a traffic violation. And he's like, well, the law says I have to deal with this ta- traffic violation. But then he discovers, well, the reason why this person is violating this, park their truck on this street is because their inherent rights have been suspended for two years by the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And they have appealed and they have petitioned and they've written letters and they've stood on the lawn of parliament and they've asked that their natural laws be acknowledged Mm -hmm. and they've been confronted with silence or stonewalling. This is the the offense of guys like um, Doug Ford, where he says, well, you'll just have to deal with it at the ballot box. If you want your fundamental freedoms back, you'll have to deal with it at the ballot box. Mm -hmm. What he's doing is he's, he's, he's not understanding that when people ask for fundamental freedoms, that their natural naturally inherited rights to be acknowledged, that's not a ballot box issue. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's not a ballot box issue. We don't have to vote to decide whether or not we can worship or not. We don't, right. we don't have to vote whether or not to decide to take a, a vaccine or not. This isn't a democratic issue. This doesn't fall in the category of civil law. It's the responsibility of the state to acknowledge these things and to act in such a way that these things are preserved. So when but when you get to a point where people's natural inherent rights have been taken away, then sometimes as a means of protest, people violate civil laws in order to get attention. So for example, in Windsor, this is really important to understand. A lot of people, why would you block the bridge? Why would you block the bridge? It was symbolic. They've been blocked. These people who blocked the bridge, many of them have been, are now denied access to that bridge. Yes. Many of them have had their jobs taken away, especially the truckers, right? Mm-hmm. So their ability to work has been taken away. Some of them will find themselves permanently unemployed. They are literally trapped in their own country. They can't leave. Mm-hmm. So they go to a place and they break civil laws in order to symbolically remind the state that they have taken away their inherent rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, this is really important. When, when the state robs people of travel, of work, of conscience, they, they symbolically go to places to protest. So where, where would you, if, if, you're not, if you're not allowed to leave the country, if you're not allowed to work without a particular vaccine, where do you go? Well, you go to parliament, you park in front of Ottawa. That's the, that city belongs to the whole nation. Where do you go? You go to a bridge and you protest in a place where you've been blocked access. Mm-hmm. But the tyranny of the state is when they say, how dare these protesters block a bridge or how dare these protesters clutter up Ottawa? Go home, go home, go home. And they don't understand or they don't seem to, I think they do understand, but they don't want to acknowledge that the, the state has taken away fundamental freedoms that they have no right to take 
uh, away from them. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they, you know, they even use the criminal code. Uh, you know, you're guilty of criminal mischief, even though it's arguably, well, it is more criminal to actually violate people's inherent natural rights. That, I, that is very helpful. And for me, it just, uh, I guess, illuminates a bunch of conversations that have happened over the past year where people um, say, if you want to stand against, or I should say, stand against the civil law that has been made that violates the natural law, i.e. you're standing against vax passports, then people are like, well, then are you not going to wear your seatbelts either? You're not going to do all these other things? Well, those things don't violate natural law. Exactly. And so, so that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. So one of the arguments people have used is, well, why why wouldn't you clear out of your church building when under normal circumstances you, you hang a fire extinguisher on your wall? I mean, you agree to, to those laws, so why not laws to suspend worship? Because the, the law that says you got to hang a fire extinguisher on your wall is a civil law. Mm-hmm. The law that says we need to gather to worship as a Christian church is a natural law. It's actually mandated by God. And we cannot, so let's say, let's say it was even a good idea. So let's suppose for a moment that it was a good idea for our church to suspend worship for a period of time because we had a virus sweeping through our church, killing half of our people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if that was a good idea, the question is who has the authority to make that decision? It's the church. It's the church, not the state. The state doesn't have the authority to do that. So we ha- we we push back on principle against any attempt by the state to violate natural law and to suspend fundamental freedoms, especially when it pertains to worship. Because when you when you basically tell people you can't you cannot gather to worship, you cannot act like the church is commanded to act. You're you're also playing the role of God. Mm-hmm. So just, and I don't want to park here too long because I know we got lots more, but I think this is so helpful because so many people pointed, they don't really functionally understand natural law versus civil law. And because of that, they've just always obeyed all civil laws, some of them. And so when those civil laws violated natural law, it was, they didn't compute in their head that that actually was the breaking point where now we disobey those civil laws. So I think that distinction will be very helpful to our listeners. Well, this is a Romans 13 thing too, where the state has been given authority over public justice again. So we're a church here. It's not our job. We don't, we don't have responsibility to go and apprehend criminals and have court proceedings. And in, in Islam, they, they bring the state and the religion together so you can have these shara courts where the people are judged basically by the religious leaders for criminal acts. But in, in the Christian way of thinking, the state has authority over public justice. The state, whether the person leading the state's a Christian or not, they still serve as God's deacons to oversee public justice, again, mm-hmm. to reward the righteous and to punish the evildoer. Mm-hmm. That's not our job. And we need to respect them within that sphere of authority, within the boundaries that God has given to them. Mm-hmm. But what we're not called to do, we're not called to obey every law. I should say this, we're not called to obey any law legislated by the state if it violates natural law, mm-hmm. if it violates, from a Christian perspective, yep. God's law, actually. Yes. 
And this is why in Acts 5, when the apostles were told not to worship, they said, too bad, we're going to obey God rather than man. But if a police officer comes up and says, knock, 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 you know, you're driving 80 in a 50 zone, then they have they have the right to be able to enforce that because the state has decided that that is the speed limit. Now we have to be, we have to be a little bit careful of course, because you can find yourself in a situation. I think we are where civil laws become so ominous and so complex that they, they innately start to hinder natural law. So for example, you can have economic laws, Mm -hmm. let's say taxation laws that in and of themselves are fine. They're, they're fine. They're, they're legitimate civil laws. But when you stack to stack, when you start to stack one upon the other, upon the other, upon the other, upon the other, to the point that people are hardly taking any of their income home anymore, then you got to start questioning, okay, maybe these civil laws by themselves are fine, but when they're multiplied to the degree that they are, now they're actually violating natural law, a person's ability to, you know, work and to provide for their family. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is helpful to me. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So now what counsel would you have, um, to give to police officers, officers of the law. Okay, so yeah, I want to speak. I said this earlier. I want to speak directly to to police, and I also want for those of you that are listening that aren't police to pass this on to police officers, to law enforcement too, because the military might be part of this, the court system might be part of this. So people that are in law enforcement, and again, we have, I have a family member in policing. I have a family member in the working in the prison system, not as a prisoner, but in the prison system. (laughs) And I have lots of friends and people in the church that are office law enforcement officers and people that are retired law enforcement officers. And so this is hopefully a benefit to you. Obviously there's bad police officers, just like there's bad pastors. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that all police officers are bad or even the majority of them are by any stretch. But I do want to speak to police officers. And what I would say, I want, I want to just give some, some preliminary comments. First of all, it appears to me that most actually, some people have set up to 75% as I've asked this question of others and asked this question of cops. It appears to me, I think it's true that probably 75% of them, maybe more, disagree with the stunts that Jason Kenney or Doug Ford or Prime Minister Trudeau have pulled. They disagree with the ongoing mandates. I think they're fed up with them as well mm-hmm. because they're generally common sense working class people and they can see the politicking and they're, they're fed up with it. Uh, we had a, a dear friend, a police officer in our own church say, you know, last year he went to his his uh, higher ups and said, I'm going to resign because I don't agree with what's going on. They asked him to stay and ultimately he lost his job because he wouldn't show his papers. So there's examples of people like that that have stood up. Mm-hmm. And he's an example of one of many who disagree with the mandates. I heard of a police officer recently that's thinking about retiring early mm-hmm. because they're fed up. They're embarrassed by some of the things they're being asked to do as officers of the law. I really want to, if if I was able to arbitrate on a, on a high level, what I would like to see is I'd like to see the state stop using the police to become an enemy of the people because I think that's what's happening. So the police in many respect are like the the hammer of the state, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're the ones that lay down the law to use that language. They lay down the law. They, 
they strike fear into the population if they're disobeying the law. But what we've seen is the state use the police to violate natural law, to violate God's law. And and now I, I had, I've had a couple people message me today and said, I've always had a lot of respect for the police, but now I'm very angry with them. I've lost respect. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean they've lost respect for every officer. I mean, I think a lot of us have lost respect for the church as a whole in Canada yeah. for not speaking up. Even though there's some good pastors and good Christians out there, as a whole, the Church of Jesus Christ in Canada Canada has been complicit mm-hmm. in the ongoing violation of natural law. And in the same way, I would say a large percentage of police officers have been complicit in the statist totalitarian agenda. So I'm going to throw my vocation under the bus as I also mm-hmm. you know, issue this indictment upon policing services. Now, there, it's going to vary department to department because, for example, in Ontario, the Ontario police aren't required to be vaccinated to be on the department, but the Windsor police are. So, literally, you, ha- you can have a row of police officers coming down a road. The Windsor guys may or may or the Windsor guys are going to be vaxxed, and the OPP may or may not be. So, mm-hmm. it, it varies from department to department, and I would think then that that's going to affect the feelings that people have. So, if you're in a in a department where everyone's vaxxed then, you know, maybe you're not as concerned about what's going on. Um, And if you're in a department where there's a bit more freedom of choice, then maybe you're going to have more people that think this is ridiculous. That's just my guess. But what I want to remind police officers of, first of all, is is their oath. Mm -hmm. They've taken an oath. And I brought along the oath that police officers are asked to affirm in the province of Ontario. I think it's very similar in other jurisdictions. Uh, Here's what it says. I solemnly swear, affirm that I will be loyal to Her Majesty the Queen and to Canada and that I I will uphold the Constitution of Canada and that I will, to the best of my ability, preserve the peace, prevent offenses and discharge other duties as, and then insert the name of office, faithfully, impartially and according to law. So help me God. Well, Interesting. Here we have a declaration that you're going to uphold the Constitution of Canada. And then you're also supposed to uphold other laws, right? Because you're supposed to preserve the peace, which is why they call police sometimes peace officers. Mm -hmm. They're not judges. They're peace officers. Prevent offenses. What kind of offensive? Well, it could be a municipal offense, could be a provincial offense. But if if you're in a situation where you're like, okay, I'm supposed to issue a ticket for a provincial offense, an ROA offense, let's say, Mm -hmm. reopening Ontario offense. I get to go issue a ticket to Pastor Aaron Rock because he broke a provincial statute, a provincial law that says right now he can't have more than five or 10 people in his church, which was the case at one point in time. But I also in my oath have affirmed to uphold the Constitution of Canada And the Constitution of Canada has within it the charter, which has within it inherent rights. Well, you're you're in a bind now. So what do you do if you're being asked to enforce a civil law that conflicts with the charter law? But more importantly, okay, even if we didn't have a charter, so we we don't need a charter and we don't need a constitution in order to have natural laws recognized. Mm -hmm. Again, because the charters of our country the our countries, the constitutions of our country, 
they, this is really important, they don't decide what divine natural law is. They don't make that decision. Mm -hmm. They don't vote on it. They acknowledge it. So even if we didn't have a Bill of Rights and we didn't have a charter, we would still have inherent rights as human beings. Mm -hmm. I have the right to worship my God as I see fit in accordance with my faith and religion, mm -hmm. period. If someone else wants to make a different choice and worship a different God, that's their decision. But I have the right to this. I have the right to seek gainful employment. I have the right to travel freely. I have the right to educate my children. I have these rights. I have the right to freedom of thought. So within our charter, of course, again, these are acknowledged. In our charter, we have freedom of conscience and religion, freedom of thought, freedom of belief, freedom of opinion and expression, freedom of the press and other media communication, freedom of peaceful assembly, freedom of association. We have mobility rights. It says in our, 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 um, our constituting documents, every citizen of Canada has the right to enter, remain in, and leave Canada. Except during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yeah, except for two years. Yeah. The government thinks they can just kind of give and take these things willy-nilly. Mm -hmm. And now we have this mass discrimination where it's not even equally applied. Yes. So now they've said, okay, this, this portion of the population has the right to leave the country or enter the country, but this pop, this portion does not. Mm -hmm. And it's all based upon this unproven theory of stopping viral spread, which again is, is based upon a man-made concept mm -hmm. under divine law. You're only hindered from movement temporarily if you have a known contagious disease, mm -hmm. i.e. the Levitical quarantine laws. That's right. That's right. So, again, where do these rights come in? They don't come from legislation. That's why the preamble acknowledges the supremacy of God. So, to law enforcement officials, when I want you to think about this. When you enforce civil laws that contribute to a system— robbing other human beings of naturally endowed rights, you are complicit. You are complicit in the suspension of rights that you have no authority to suspend. Really critical for people to understand. So the Emergency Act, as I mentioned earlier, which Trudeau just put into place, is subject to the Charter but Trudeau plans to use it in order to hammer people that are protesting their charter rights that have been removed. Mm -hmm. In other words, we could, we could reframe it this way outside of law, just in, on principle. He's using tyranny, mm -hmm. absolute tyranny, to hammer people that are fighting for inherent rights using a piece of legislation that says he's supposed to acknowledge inherent rights. There's a lot of irony there. Yeah. And you can be sure he's not going to use the Emergency Measures Act and not violate charter rights oh, because he's already violating them. He's already so. violating them. It's all about, well, there's vehicles parked on the street. There's, mm -hmm. That's not a national emergency. Mm -hmm. That's that, that could be arguably a municipal offense. It's not a natural emergency. Even if we've gone out and talked to these people. So you're focusing on their quote unquote violation of essentially traffic traffic violations. And 
they're there because, again, they want to be heard for the ongoing suspension of their charter freedoms. So if I was a police officer, I would enforce civil laws as they're written, uh, presuming they're not immoral, but I would refuse, and this is what I want to call police officers to do, I would refuse to enforce any civil law that violates any natural law directly, mm-hmm. and I would refuse to enforce any civil law that enslaves people who are seeking, that enslaved, I should say, people are... um you let me just kind of reword that just to make sure it's clear in my own head because I think I got lost in my own thoughts there for a moment. It, it happens. The, the, the <laughs> Surprise. Imperf- the imperfect mind. So what what I would do is I would refuse to enforce any civil law that violates any natural law or enslaves people who are simp- simply seeking to have their natural rights acknowledged. Mm. I would stand with them. And I would even go so far as to say, you know what, if someone's violating a civil law for a period of time, because fundamentally what they are fighting for is the reinstatement of natural law, of divine law, those are honorable people, mm-hmm. and I'm going to stand with them. 100%. I'm going to stand with them. I'm going to say, no, I'm not towing their vehicles. I'm not pulling them out. I'm not pushing them off the bridge. I'm not shoving them down the highway. I'm not making arrests. I'm not charging them with criminal mischief because even though from a civil perspective, they might be breaking some civil laws and in, in, in doing in committing those acts, they're doing it to fight for the acknowledgement of natural law of divinely inherited laws. And when, when we understand that, when we, when, when, when we uphold inherent rights that people have, then everybody wins. Mm-hmm. Our generation wins. Future generations win. Generations after that win. But when we go out, we're like, we're going to bring the full hammer of the law down and we're going to smash you for parking your truck in front of an entrance or parking your truck in front of the parliament buildings or honking your horn too late into the night. We're going to smash you and we're going to arrest you and we're going to haul you out of there. But these people are actually principled people that are there because they haven't been hurt and they're fighting for things that we should all value and all fight for. Mm-hmm. Then as a law enforcement officer, I, I, it's my belief that you have a, a moral obligation to stand down. Mm-hmm. I also was um, you know, sharing with a, a couple of officers and I, I feel f- quite free to be able to say this because I think it's really, really important. No sensible person wants violence. Mm-hmm. No sensible person wants violence. But the problem is, is that law enforcement has all the tools for that. And the average citizen doesn't, and doesn't have an interest in that. Like who among us wants to go out and start throwing punches or hurting people? Like we don't want to do that. We want to stay peaceful. That's, that's in the best interest of all folks. But one of my concerns that I've been sort of trying to get a feel for this a little bit is, you know, when you study history, when people have their inherent rights stripped away, stripped away, stripped away, stripped away, you create, whether it'll happen or not, I have no idea, but you create an atmosphere potentially for violence. And then the police that have been used by the state to violate natural law, 
then they're going to have a lot more work on their hands and their jobs are even going to be more difficult and their lives are going to be on the line because now you're going to be dealing with people that are desperate. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's in the best interest of police services too to say to the state when the state continues to violate natural law, human rights, to say, we're not going to enforce these laws because if we enforce these laws, our job potentially is just going to increase and we're going to put our, our lives are going to be put on the line because you're going to have some people out there that are going to get desperate and may do some stupid things. Mm-hmm. So we, I'm issuing this call, not, not as a rebuke to police, although I think some of them do need to repent of uh, p- contributing to a system that has violated natural law, but also to protect them. You know, we want police officers to be able to go to work and do their job and enforce the law and come home to their families at night. Mm -hmm. We don't want them working 18 hour shifts because the world's on fire. And and we don't want them, their lives being put on the line because people lose their cool. I mean, not everybody out there is, you know, has the kind of restraint that we might hope for. So if, if as a nation, the prime minister, the premier, the, the mayors, the police services, all acknowledge the supremacy of these divinely inherited rights. Everybody wins. I win, you win, the church wins, the police win, the state wins, and and the citizenry wins. So this this is our plea, and we're hoping that it won't fall on deaf ears. I'm not convinced this podcast is going to change the world or anything like that, but incrementally, little by little, yep. some of the things that I've said will hope, hopefully help to shape people's understanding of law and the response the police take to some of these challenges that we're facing as a nation. Yeah, so let's say the police do exactly what you say. Um, There's going to be a cost to their stand, to their choice to not enforce that. And so obviously that cost is a lot easier to bear when there's many people standing. So it's their strength in numbers, less likely to face severe repercussions. But I was thinking even, let's say there's one of the officers in that lineup on here on church that all of a sudden walks out from the line, turns around and stands with the protesters. Like that person's going to (laughs) be just destroyed, right? And it's it's actually not really funny, but you think like that person making that decision, do you think it's, I guess maybe that's a a strategy question, but maybe it's more strategic for them to just say, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to work on Saturday during the protest. I'm, I'm not showing up. Well, everyone has a different constitution, a way of dealing with things. And, you know, there's some personalities that probably would do that if they, if it dawned on them and they had the courage in the moment to do that, you know, throughout history, it's always started with, so there's only problems when the majority thinks it's okay to do something. And then the a lone voice crying in the wilderness speaks out and then it grows and grows and grows. Right. Yeah. So somebody's kind of, kind of got to be the first to stick their, their neck out. I mean, there were, there were other pastors in our country that were pushing back against tyranny long, you know, kind of neck and neck with, with our efforts, but you know, I was the first guy sort of out of the gates to actually be, as far as I know, in the country of Canada charged. So that has sort of become, un, you know, kind of like every day. And I don't say that because I'm better than others. I'm not saying that at all. It's, I'm just trying to under, trying, trying to help people to understand the history there. Now we have a growing movement. Like the truckers up in Ottawa, they weren't speaking out 
they were like a year and a half behind us. Yeah. But now we see it growing, right? Little by little, the 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 numbers grow. The the it's not even a revolt. It's not that the protesters are <laughs> revolting. They're just trying to live their lives normally. It's a return to Canada pre twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. Right? We want the charter. Those kind of so things, some yeah. some police are just gonna say, you know what, I'm out. I'm resigning. I'm taking early retirement. I'm going to find work elsewhere. It is strategic, though, to stay and fight for as long as you can. And you do that by having conversations in the locker room or in the gym or on the gun range and talking to fellow officers, sharing this kind of information and um, affecting the culture of your own police department. Those that are tenured officers obviously have more liberty to go and speak to those higher up in the process. But we saw this, uh, when was it, a year ago where Doug Ford was trying to close the borders or something in Ontario and a bunch of police services came out and said, no, we're not going to enforce that. I think it related to traveling into Quebec or leaving the province. I think that's oh, what it was. Oh, interprovincial travel. Yeah. yeah. And the police services just said, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to enforce that. Okay. So it only takes a, a few police services to say, um, yeah, we're not going to go and arrest. I think it was the stop and they could stop people at any time thing. Stop in Toronto. Oh, yeah, okay. But yeah, the yeah. same point. Yeah, but it's yeah. kind of a, uh, you know, at the, at the bridge here, the way I would have liked to have seen it play out, because I did talk to some of the protesters there and they were very reasonable. I would have liked the police to go and say, okay, guys, this is a problem. This doesn't look good. Can you open up this lane and this lane in good faith? will communicate to the provincial authorities that you have opened a couple lanes that people can get back and forth. We'll wait 48, 72 hours to see how people respond. Then we'll open a couple more lanes, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. I think they would have said, my my gut feeling is the protesters would have said, yeah, we'll do that. We want to be reasonable. Mm -hmm. We're okay with being incrementalists. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like that. It was the mayor of Windsor, we're just going to call them names. Yep. We're going to accuse them of having mental issues or some of them of having mental issues. We're going to stonewall. We're not going to have any conversations. We're just going to threaten and cajole. We're going to spend all kinds of money hiking in police officers from all over the place, mm -hmm. hiking all this equipment, commission buses, bring in barricades. All the money that they spent on that was completely unnecessary, mm -hmm. completely unnecessary. It should be billed to the politicians. Mm-hmm. But what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to spin it around, right? They're probably like, oh, well, let's let's bill it to the protesters. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Protesters that don't have a job. Yeah. Protesters that you rob from the ability to work. You know, no, it's not going to happen. Who were completely peaceful. So, yeah, who were peaceful the whole time. And I actually talked to several that said, I've never actually been asked to leave. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, if they ask me to leave, I'll probably go. <laughs> oh, interesting. That's probably, yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's accurate too. Even when the injunction was uh, put on them. I know there was a group that said, okay, we want to write an affidavit. And because uh, the judge apparently asked for an injunction uh, or he wanted to hear back from, from what I heard through the grapevine, he wanted to hear back or she, I don't know who it was, wanted to hear back from the protesters. So they got a paralegal and wrote an affidavit. And I think they were told to submit it by noon and they showed up at whatever, 1130 or 11.45. And they said, oh no, it had to be in by 11. So, they kind of felt a little screwed over too in terms of mm. having their voice with the courts. I don't know what that was all about, yeah. but there's, there's some shady things that seem to have taken place there, some questionable things, some 
mishandling. I mean, all, all the all the energy. Okay, here's the thing. All of that energy, there must have been hundreds of hours. All the energy that was put in by the policing services to park cars here, 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 to have people on site, to bring in all these officers, all the emails, the communication, the, the lodgings, the barriers. That could have all been dealt with, I can guarantee you, with a couple of good heart-to-heart conversations between officials and protesters. Mm-hmm. 100%. I talked to these guys, very reasonable, down-to-earth guys. But no, you got to have a big, massive show of force. Completely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. A total waste of taxpayers' money. Wasn't necessary whatsoever. It could have been handled very peacefully. I would would have been happy to to negotiate some sort of a resolution. And I'm... I, I would say I'm 99% confident that we could have negotiated some sort of a resolution, at least a temporary resolution, that would have provided some satisfaction with both sides. But what we need to remember in all of this is the police need to remember this and citizens need to remember this. The citizens are not enemies of the police and the police are not enemies of the citizen. Correct. Yep. The people that are enemies of the people right now are those that are in are enforcing mandates contrary to natural law. Yeah. This is Doug Ford's pr- fault in Ontario. This is Justin Trudeau's fault in Ontario. And if citizens and law enforcement came together and said, look, it's your fault. End the mandates. Mm-hmm. Allow guys to get in their trucks and to cross the border. Mm-hmm. It would all be over. Yep. But we, we tend to make things so complicated because of politics and human ego and people trying to prove themselves, it's it's ridiculous. This could all come to an end. Everything in Ottawa could come to an end. If a person wants to have, if a person wants to abide by their own mandates, have at it. Mm-hmm. If you want to put a mask on, social social distance, never see your grandma again, stay home, have at it. But for, for those that want to kind of move on after two years of unnecessary suspended freedoms, it's time for the police and citizens to rise up together and say, uh, we are no longer going to be complicit in the violation of basic human rights that are not granted by the state. They're granted by God. They're inerrant. We are inherently free citizens. And we all need to acknowledge that. If we acknowledge that, everybody wins. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you all to our listeners as well. Reminder that you can tune in on the CJXC Radio, Canada's constant Christian companion at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays and rebroadcast 11 p.m. Thursdays. Not sure exactly how all these episodes are getting in on their schedule. We've, We've inundated them the last few days, but you can also get the podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network's app. Uh, Download that at FLF. Download that over at flfnetwork.com and uh, make sure to tune in next week. Subscribe, share, spread the word about this podcast. As Pastor Aaron uh, mentioned, share the podcast with those uh, friends that perhaps are police officers or officials uh, in those capacities. And then tune in next week uh, or perhaps even later this week, who knows, to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.